Hello and welcome. I'm Carolyn and you're listening to Behind Bars. This episode is all about obsessions. Porn, games, fantasies, you name it, it's probably in this case. The case of Caleb Fairley, whose obsessions pushed him over the edge. I expect you've heard of Dungeons & Dragons, a role-playing game which became most popular in the 1980s and 90s, but is still around today. For anyone who hasn't heard of it, D&D is quite a simple concept, but the game can become complex quite quickly. Players each create a fictional character. It could be a human, elf, dragon, whatever you like, really. You use the dice and board to create fantasy stories for your character as you go along. In the 1990s, there was a lot of bad stigma around the game. This has actually become a hot topic more recently, thanks to the TV show Riverdale. They didn't specifically name the game. On the show, they talk about griffins and gargoyles rather than dungeons and dragons. But the same mysterious events surround the game in the show that surrounded D&D in real life. Of course, there were hundreds and thousands of people playing it and staying happy and healthy. But there were a few people who took it a bit far. It would consume them. Several kids committed suicide between 1979 and 1982, with concerned adults blaming the game. In 1984, Steve and Daniel Irwin, aged 12 and 15 respectively, died in a murder-suicide pact. The note they left behind added to the mystery, saying their deaths had been the only way for them to escape the game. Possibly the most gruesome D&D-related case happened in 1987, when 20-year-old Daniel Caston attacked and killed both his parents. He told the authorities that his character, called Mind Flayer, ordered him to do it. Was it serious, or was it just a young man desperately searching for an excuse? I'll leave you to make your minds up how much Dungeons & Dragons really affected these crimes. Although even the most cynical of you must admit there are a lot of cases. Some people definitely thought the game was the problem. In 1984, a new organisation called Bothered About Dungeons & Dragons, or BAD, was formed. The members aimed to raise awareness about the danger of the game. They claimed that it promoted devil worship, satanic rituals and human sacrifice. I'm not sure how true that is, but the group gained all the publicity they wanted. By the 1990s, both the group and the game were famous. The game, although still popular, became majorly associated with dark magic. The legend surrounding the game is exactly what drew Caleb Fairley to it a couple of years later. It started with this game, but it quickly spread to all sorts of make-believe and fantasies. In particular, Fairley loved vampires. Whether it was Buffy or Dracula, Fairley could tell you pretty much anything you wanted to know. He grew obsessed. By 1995, he owned a ridiculously large amount of different vampire items, including a black sweatshirt with a picture of a vampire attacking a young woman. I'll put a picture of it on Instagram. The 21-year-old was also part of a members-only nightclub called The Asylum. This club was a little different to most, though. Murderpedia describes it as a, quote, vampire subculture. The inside was designed to resemble a padded cell, and members would be served wearing emo-style clothes and dramatic vampiresque makeup. The clothing was optional, but a popular choice. The Asylum also regularly held vampire live-action role-playing nights, Kind of like a real-life Dungeons & Dragons game. I expect the line between fiction and reality was starting to blur for Fairley by now. Okay, you've got the background details now. Let's get to the bit you've been waiting for. 
On the 10th of September 1995, Fairley was working a shift at his parents' clothes shop that was called Your Kids and Mine. His parents had asked him to cover the shop for the evening and night since no other workers could make it. He was quite bored. There were very few customers and he was the only person working that night. There wasn't even a teenager to talk to. He was just about to close up when a young woman walked in, carrying a baby. This woman looked exactly like the woman on Fairley's vampire sweatshirt I mentioned earlier, the one being attacked by a vampire. Detectives believe he may have taken this as a sign, some sort of supernatural message, telling him that he should act as the vampire on his shirt and attack her. This woman was named Lisa Mandarak. She was only three weeks away from her 30th birthday and already had a 19-month-old daughter called Devon who had accompanied her into the shop. As soon as Fairley realised they were the only customers inside, he locked the doors. He groped at Lisa like he had with other women before and attempted to rape her. She resisted and tried to get away, which only angered him more. He strangled her in cold blood. When he noticed her child Devon Mandarak still on the floor, he strangled her too. Once they were both dead, he acted out some of his vampire fantasies by attacking and raping Lisa's corpse. He left them both inside, locked up, and went to the Electric Hellfire Club concert he'd had plans to go to that night. He returned to the scene of the crime early the next morning and disposed of both bodies, narrowly avoiding the police who were planning on searching the shop. See, what Fairley hadn't known was that Lisa had told her husband James exactly where she was going, down to the name of the shop. It was a short trip, so James became worried when they didn't return soon. He called the police, who arrived soon after. A quick sweep of the shop produced stacks of porn stained with blood and long dark hairs matching Lisa's, similar long dark hairs in the vacuum cleaner, a large damp patch on the floor that was later proved to be saliva, and peep holes drilled into the dressing room. It was clear that something had happened inside, but Lisa and Devon were nowhere to be found. Fairley was one of the first people to be questioned, since he'd been the only person working in the shop around the time Lisa had left her house and probably made it to the store. When the police questioned him, he was wearing a thick coat of makeup, which he was asked to take off. Reluctantly, he did, revealing that his face was covered in scratch marks. He gave the excuse that he'd got them from the mosh pit at the concert he'd attended the night before. The detectives doubted this. No matter what had happened to the Mandaraks and what evidence the police found in this case, the only shop worker would always be one of the prime suspects. They might have moved off him if he'd at least been able to suggest other suspects, like customers who were present at the same time. But with the circumstantial evidence and the scratch marks all over his face, the detectives started to just focus on Fairley. He lived at his mum's house who gave them permission to search his room, believing her son was innocent and a search could prove it. However, this search confirmed a lot of their suspicions. He kept an even more extensive collection of porn in his room than he had at the shop. Some people have called it an addiction of his. They also found an alarming amount of vampire paraphernalia taking over his bedroom, including the sweatshirt with the picture of the vampire and Lisa's lookalike. This is when the detectives first began thinking Fairley might have killed Lisa because he saw her presence as some sort of supernatural message. Caleb Fairley was arrested the day after he'd murdered the mother and daughter, on the 11th of September 1995, when baby Devon's body was found by hikers. After his arrest, a stain on his shirt was tested and shown to contain Lisa's DNA. This was all the evidence they needed to charge him with two counts of first-degree murder. I think Fairley knew he was screwed, which is why he entered a plea bargain. 
The terms read that the death penalty would be off the table in his trial if he showed the detectives where Lisa's body was, since Devon was the only one who'd actually been found. He led the detectives to an abandoned industrial factory next to a forest. Lisa's corpse was dumped behind it. The autopsy proved that he'd raped and assaulted her body. These charges were added to his two charges of first-degree murder, but the death penalty was taken off the table like they'd agreed. Fairley's trial was in April 1996 and resulted in a sentence of two consecutive life sentences. He's currently serving his time at a prison in LaBelle, Pennsylvania. That was the case of Caleb Fairley. Thanks for listening, everybody. And don't forget to come back next Friday for episode 20. I've got a special announcement to make that you won't want to miss. I won't say anything just yet, but make sure you listen to next week's episode. If you don't already, go follow Behind Bars on all the social medias linked in the podcast description. Thanks for all your support over the last few weeks. Alright, bye for now.